birthday to three people today. Happy birthday today to Joyce Blevins. Happy birthday, Joyce. And, and to Lou Enoff tomorrow. Happy birthday, Lou. And Joe Gorman on Monday, on Tuesdays. Happy birthday, Joe. Hallelujah. Well, we are grateful for each of you. I just happen to think, what a, what a blessing to have a time all together. We can just say to each of you how much you mean to us. And we pray these birthdays um, are a joyous time this week, a special time. Well, you may be seated. And uh, as we give thanks to God for the goodness of the good news, the goodness of the gospel, we can all also rejoice today on this Sunday after Christmas in how the Holy Spirit brings each of us to a new awareness, a new awakening of, of truths of the kingdom in our lives. And for those of you that may be joining us here in Facebook Live, we're so grateful that you're here as well. And we conclude today our Advent series by reflecting anew on that incredible experience that is described in the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew about the Magi. What an amazing thing that every time we come to it kind of brings an awareness to us somewhat like what we'll be talking today about today when we look at God's gift wrap in that there is a wonder, there is a beauty that no human words can ever do justice to in our lives about the way God brought early in the entire account of the birth of Jesus and of his life on this earth, that God brought an early, indescribably powerful witness to an emphasis Jesus gave his disciples later that would surprise them greatly. And that was, we know we remember that a characteristic of the disciples in that time was that they tended to think like humans always tend to think in a provincial way. And what concerns my country, my nation, what's closest to my neighborhood, what's closest to my, even within my language and my ethnic group, that, um, that this is, this is um, the uppermost priority for Almighty God. And early, early in the account and the experiences of Joseph and Mary, they met a vivid reminder that God's plan for sending this little one they were caring for into the world was global. It was far beyond the confines, the parochial confines of the Israelites and those living there in that region of Judea. And so I believe as we trace back and think about as Becky reviewed on uh, Candlelight Evening about the prophetic preparation in the first candle and the angelic appearances that signaled God's awesome engagement with humanity in the second candle and the shepherds first called common workers and individuals that would have been totally overlooked by the religious hierarchy of their day, and yet they were chosen to be the first to lay eyes on this indescribably priceless gift of the infant Messiah in the manger. So it is, as we thought about the light of Christ illuminating all aspects 
of humanity. Then today as we think about the Magi, the traveling of those often referred to in a sort of a simple way as the wise men. And we remember that in the the months following the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph kept the infant Messiah in Bethlehem as they coped with the very real human needs of a newborn. Becoming human meant that descending from his throne on high, God the Son became totally needy in his infancy. However, Mary and Joseph may have explained it to themselves, these two young Jewish parents had come face to face with the glory of the incarnation. God's eternal deity now dwelling in human form must have stirred wonder and curiosity in the soul of Mary and Joseph. And yet, the task of daily living was still theirs. So they dedicated baby Jesus in the temple and settled down for a while in a house in nearby Bethlehem. As the text in Matthew chapter 2 tells us, the Magi came to a humble dwelling, a house in Bethlehem. Little did Mary and Joseph know that deep in the dark, starry night, God had placed a sign to draw the adoring Magi to their temporary home to lay lavish gifts at the child's feet and to bow before the supreme king, God's promised savior of the world. Listen to the word of the Lord in Matthew chapter 2. When Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. What is abundantly clear from the Magi's mission is that God used astronomy to guide them. Instinctively, they yearned for eternal wisdom and believed that in some way it would come through the stellar heavens. But as far back as the days of Daniel the prophet, nearly six centuries before Jesus had born, the Magi of that part of the east, the region in Persia, had an extra clue, a glistening diamond of divine insight. For in the mid-centuries of The mid-6th century B.C., Daniel spoke of that coming ruler, a universal king who would arise from among the Jewish people. A miracle in Daniel's day had sealed this conviction deep in the minds of these observers and their mentors. They would have been executed by Nebuchadnezzar had God not sent his eternal wisdom through the young Jewish exile named Daniel. It was God's mighty word through Daniel that saved the Magi, the wise men, the astrologers of his day. With piercing insight and precise answers, Daniel proved God's sovereignty over Babylon and followed it with this prophecy. There is a God in heaven, Daniel 2.28, who summarized it by saying, there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets. And he, the eternal God, makes known 
what is to happen in the latter days. So from Daniel's day onward, generation after generation of Magi groped for more insight about the coming king of the Jews. Then, as if from nowhere, the star appeared. So the journey began. These mysterious Magi charted a course across barren sand through the Fertile Crescent on a mission to find the Messiah King. As Jesus and his earthly parents met these mysterious messengers, the kingdom of God was truly at hand. From this place of worship today, we too can go forth like the Magi. We go in honor of the king's majesty. We too, like the Magi, are travelers. Being warned by God in a dream, they return. Why? They returned to tell of an unseen kingdom because they had been in the presence of the king. So we, today, we worship the eternal king and we live in the assurance of the kingdom that will never fail. Salvation from sin is the hallmark of that kingdom. And in that, we can rejoice no matter how far we must travel or how long or wearying our journeys may be. Will you pray with me now? Oh, Lord God, we praise you together in our hearts for the way that you have revealed your glorious plan. In the event of these magi finding the Christ child, we can see again the, the timeless truth of Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows his handiwork. So we ask today, may our worship from grateful hearts rise higher in these days ahead. May we see that bowing before your majesty and honoring who you are is not uh, a seasonal or temporary or episodic thing in our lives. It is, it is the, the burning bush of our encounter with you. It is the realization that your awesome, glorious incarnation empowers us to live in the assurance of your victorious coming kingdom. So Lord, draw us, teach us, send us and guide us, O sovereign Lord. May we, like the Magi, return on our journeys with that deep assurance stirring in our souls. Give us eyes to see and hearts to perceive what you're doing in our midst now, today. Through Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, listen, I, I appreciate each of you that would bring part of your Christmas weekend. Such a great time for our families to gather, to be together, to honor our king and to rejoice in him. And I'd like to think with you today about an issue that, an analogy that's not perfect because there are no analogies about Jesus and his birth in Bethlehem and the awesome splendor of what we talked about last Sunday, the infinitely glorious incarnation. There are no analogies that even do justice to it. 
And yet, in a small way, maybe in, in some way, I like to think of this, I like to think of what we can do in response to the gift of God in this way, that God's gift wrap, God's gift wrap comes to us in the very event we've talked about and in a way that is celebrated in Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, which has been the theme and the, um, the center point of what we have explored in the four Sundays that we had for our Advent time. And I'd like to ask you to think as you open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9, in light of um, the words that ring through the centuries with such such clarity, such resonance, to think about this as our children's class goes, which I forgot to say. Thank you, Marcia. <laughs> as, uh, they're, they're just so quiet here, so attentive. Or thank you, Marcia, so much. Thank you. As, as I think about this, I, I think about the fact that all of us have had a, a, a Christmas gift given to us at some time in our lives that, that, the, that the wrapping was especially distinctive. You could probably remember a, a Christmas gift you've been given where it was just, it was wrapped so professionally and so beautifully that maybe something really stood out about it, very distinctive. And those are, those are delightful. And yet, there's a different kind of delight that comes in the, in the hap, somewhat haphazardly wrapped present of, of a little one who has wrapped something for his mom or, or wrapped something for his parents, maybe grabbed a, a piece of the newspaper and wrapped it with some with some uh, scotch tape and, and stuck a bow on it. Some of those stand out in our minds as, as especially touching, depending on the circumstances and how that was given. And sometimes those are, those are delightful in a whole different way. But whatever type of gift wrap it is, one of the things Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7 does for us, and I hope will do for us today, is, is to remind us that when Jesus was born, when Jesus came and was in that manger in Bethlehem, that God really was giving us all that we could ever need, far beyond even the needs that we're aware of, because his coming addresses needs on the deepest possible level, needs that many of us are not even aware of on a daily basis. But God wraps up the full beauty and magnitude of his gift in Jesus Christ in this wonderful panoply of names. Look at it again in your Bible in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where it says, Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice for that, from that time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now we're going to explore part of verse 6 again and 7, in light of what we looked at in the 
Last Sunday of November, we talked about um, the prophetic vision of an eternal hope. And the first Sunday of December, we, we looked at the Messiah's majestic conquest. And last Sunday, we looked at the infinitely glorious incarnation. What did God do in that event? And, and that led us into the heart of this very familiar scripture, verse 6 and 7, about his names. And, and I want to go back into those names as we left off, just got started briefly and looked at Wonderful last week. But to pair it up with something that I've put on this first slide, because I think it brings into focus a beautiful fact which can easily be missed. Here on this Sunday after our celebration of the birth of Jesus with our families and the rich time that we've had together as a church, God has given us a gift wrap. He's wrapped up the gift of salvation, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the promise of his, king, of his kingdom, the fact of a daily companionship with God, Emmanuel, God with us, walking with God, that daily assurance. We, we could include in that gift wrap the, the wonderful truths of John 15, for example, that uh, Christ himself, risen Lord, is, is like the living vine from God. His heavenly Father is the vine dresser, and we're the branches. And that truth shows us the living dynamic moment-by-moment reality that when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father has guaranteed that the life that is in the vine of the Son is now flowing through your veins, and you're growing in God, and God himself oversees the development of this wondrous vineyard that is often an analogy in Scripture for his total care for the kingdom. So we could say many other things that are in the gift wrap, but that's one that you can dwell daily if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with a confidence that the life of God, the life of the vine, this new life that's celebrated in the gospel, this is part now of who you are. It's not just I am a Christian and I believe certain things. It is the Holy Spirit infusing your life with something you could not have had apart from the incarnation. So this gift wrap of God wraps around all that is comprised in this list of names. Now, I want to pair that up on this slide if you think about it just with a brief thought. And maybe you could put a note down. You might want to read it later. A wonderful psalm, Psalm 8 in the Bible, not a very long psalm, an easy psalm to read. It reads in a real poetic way. It almost, it's almost like the psalm itself is a piece of art. And it begins and ends on this phrase, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In the middle of the psalm, the camera lens of Scripture, we might say, zooms in on a key question about the relationship of human beings to their creator. It says, what is man that you, 
oh God, are mindful of him. What is it about humans? We might put it in a fairly colloquial way or a paraphrase and say, what is it about people that you like, God? What, what is it about these humanoids? What is it about these, these two-legged creatures that are traversing the earth but always causing so much trouble? What is it about men and women? What is it about humanity that is so, so vitally beautiful in your eyes and valuable? And, and the psalm, Psalm 8, begins and ends like a, like, like a, a refrain of a great song. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then it concludes. O Lord, our Lord, say it with me, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The accent is on your name. And the entire earth benefits from the fact that God has wrapped up this wondrous gift of the birth of Messiah and wrapped this wondrous gift in his magnificent name. Now, why would that be so, so vital as, as, a, as a gift for us? Why would that, what would that do for us? We might want to think of it this way, in that all the earth in Psalm 8 benefits, all the earth benefits from what we explored last Sunday in this truth of God becoming man. All of the earth. Now, we might step back from that at times and think, well, now, wait a minute. The only people that could really benefit from this, even as wondrous as it is, is us Christians who believe it. Oh, no. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says that it benefits the entire earth and indeed, it elevates the experience of being a human in ways that millions of people don't even understand. It's like you see God being so full of mercy and grace that the abundance the infinitude of his mercy spills out all over the place and splashes all over humanity because of his great love for human beings. And it was in this that when we, when we put in a capsule in one Bible verse, one simple Bible verse, what did God do in that manger? Well, more precisely, in the womb of Mary nine months earlier is what he did, of course. We know that. But we think of it in terms of the birth of the baby in the manger. But it, it was when Messiah was an embryo, an infinitesimally tinier than a human eye could see, that God, Emmanuel, had come. Now, what, what did he do? Well, read aloud with me, just directly from Colossians chapter 2. Read aloud with me exactly what he did. Let's, let's leave this Christmas season with that ringing in our ears. For... In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now, please remember, too, though we talked about that last week in depth, what it means, one thing we must never forget is the present tense of this verse. 
all the fullness of deity, all of God's entire being dwells in bodily form in the Lord Jesus. Because Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Luke chapter 24 tells us that after he was raised from the dead, victorious over hell, death, and the grave, that when the disciples saw him and were aghast and just uh, so overwhelmed with the awe of seeing the risen Lord, Jesus zeroed in on the fact that this verse tells us by letting them know that this physicality, the actual glorified body of the risen Christ, now eternally, eternally the forerunner, the, the firstborn from the dead, as we heard in the candlelight service. That is, Jesus wanted them to know he existed eternally as God. He became man in that incarnation. Now he continues to be the eternal, risen, glorified God-man. So he said to the disciples, fear not for a Spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see I have. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus wanted the disciples to know it's the glorified Savior. He lives. Almighty God dwells in bodily form. When the book of Hebrews talks about his high priestly ministry, it describes it as having, in the resurrection, having purified all of sin, purged sin out of the bloodstream of humanity for the redeemed and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high from where he reigns until he must put all enemies under his feet. In other words, what I'm really saying in a very simple way today is that God's gift wrap for you is the assurance Jesus is Lord. Assurance to you Jesus is there. Assurance for you that Jesus cares. Assurance for you that Jesus is alive. Assurance for you that God, Emmanuel, God with us, is for you. And, and what is often forgotten and overlooked, as I've said, is that this truth illuminates humanity. Now, I want to leave this uh, Christmas season with something that's not emphasized enough in Christian circles, I don't think it's well understood by many people who otherwise may have uh, some appreciation of what it means to celebrate Christmas. But one of the things we often miss is that God in Christ brought an illumination to the earth. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. John 1, 9 puts it in these words. You could read it aloud if you would from the screen. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now this used light in John's gospel is not speaking of the light later that talks about the light that comes you distinctly to a follower of Jesus. That's different. This is the illumination of God's majestic gift to the world and it is reflected in so many things that you've been seeing and experiencing, I'm sure, during your Christmas season, but maybe we didn't stop to think about it that often. I reached back into history um, to find some of the 
poetic writings of uh, people celebrating the birth of Jesus back in the 19th century. And I, I find them intriguing. They, they, don't bring, they don't come to the pulpit very well because they're, sometimes the language is a bit archaic and it's not maybe the kind of language we're used to hearing um, on the ear. And yet I, I, I lift one example of the poetry and the, the writings about Christmas from the 19th century partly because they reflect a truth that, again, is often being missed. And, and here's just one little snapshot from that. Over in the region of Bosnia, over there in, uh, in, in that part of the world that uh, even to this day uh, has so many, so many vast and, and pressing needs, but uh, in about 150 or more years ago, there was a legend in the region, region that we now call Bosnia. And the legend at Christmas time was this, that when the Christ child was born, that the sun leaped in the heavens and the stars around it danced. A peace came over mountain and forest. Even the rotten stump stood straight and healthy on the green hillside. The grass was beflowered with open blossoms. Incense sweet as myrrh pervaded upland and forest. Birds sang on the mountaintop, and all gave thanks to the great God. That's a Bosnian legend at Christmas time. And many cultures throughout the centuries have similar expressions of the wonder, the gaiety, the, the uh, jubilant celebrations of what people could enjoy because God had sent his only begotten son to the world. In other words, when we saw last week these words, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, we reflect back to God our gratitude for the incarnation. And in that very act, we can also thank God that he's making available to humanity around the globe in our time a fresh encounter with the living God. Many Christmas traditions that may seem a little archaic or outdated or somewhat even uh, regional to certain areas of the world, but they reflect that the entire globe has, has benefited in countless ways by the joy of that simple news. Today, in the city of David, is born for you the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. These truths go far beyond even what our joyous celebrations of them might have brought us. Now, let's think before we leave it then, right with your Bible still open to that text, look at that Isaiah 96 and notice that two aspects of it stand out for us to fuse together the reality of what God did. First, on the human side, the only person who's ever walked this earth who existed eternally before birth or before conception, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. And so that first part of the phrase, for unto us a child is born, accents the natural birth that Mary experienced labor, pains, and normal pregnancy, and all that goes with it, a fully and completely human experience. But then, 
Unto us a son is given. Natan, speaking of the eternal gift of the father giving his son to the world. And so in that one expression, we see the reality of Emmanuel, fully human, fully God, and the wonder of it all. So to wrap it up in God's gift wrap, as we see in the names, as we see in these attributes contained in Isaiah 9-6, it is really beautiful to realize that truly he has ignited the world. Truly, his name is excellent in all the earth. And we might say it this way, if I could summarize it, that through the incarnation, God, God's gift in Jesus has elevated the experience of being human. And just as we see in the celebrations of the birth of Jesus around the world, people that don't even understand or give much credence to the actual meaning of it are blessed by the splashes of joy that, that the reality of it brings. And there are many references in Scripture that help us see why this was true. But again, God's love for humanity as a whole is often overlooked. We tend to think of it only as his love for those who respond to him in the way that we would want them to. But the love that comes through the magnitude of his gift blesses people who are unaware of even why they're being blessed. One of the places where I think it becomes clear is in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Chapter begins by saying that once a person comes into Christ, they're freed from the condemnation and the, the, uh, the, the downward condemning indictment of Almighty God against their sinfulness. But the third verse of Romans 8 says that God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, or because of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Again, here's a place where we see the government of God. We see the, the kindness of God. We see his rule and his dominion. In Christ's death on Calvary, in his atoning sacrifice for our sins, God blessed all of humanity. <laughs> that's why that's why 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The text is emphasizing the human, the humanity part of his full being. So we saw that in verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9, that the government shall be upon his shoulder, the rule or the dominion. And it's striking that that, that word derives from a root word that means to prevail. I hope you might know in your heart and in your life today, reflect in the beauty of the fact that when you open God's package, when you receive God's gift wrap, his wondrous names wrapped around this miracle, that you can trust your heavenly father for his good plan to prevail over the struggles and the difficulties that have come into your life. So when we think of it in that sense, the attributes in that sixth verse, if you look at Isaiah chapter 9, the attributes there are summarized in 
four ways. We, we might even think of them, and sometimes I think we do, we think of them as five names. But actually, wonderful counselor, the expression, the form of the words in the Hebrew implies a the modifying of the word counselor, and it's been translated th- like this, that we might say he is the wonder of a counselor, the wonder of a counselor. Jesus, the Messiah, yes, his name is wonderful. We talked about that last week, but also there is the element of his immediate and accessibility to your soul in every way that you might need him. And and part of that, of these four, if we think about it, wonderful counselor has a great emphasis on the present dynamic, present tense-ness of your walk with God. When you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can say, yes, indeed, you can say that even in the seemingly mundane things of life, there's a wonderful counsel that comes to you because you have received God's gift. You've you've received the reality that he dwells with you and his eternal dwelling, the God-man, the glorious high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus, he ever lives to make intercession for us. We read in Hebrews 7, 25, and God is saying, I'm with you. I am present with you. And there are many hints of that in Scripture. And just one that I, I really like is the concluding verse of Isaiah chapter 28. After a, after a whole series of, of explanations of how, of how the judgment that would come to the people of Judah could result in their awakening to the goodness of God, it also speaks of how God uses mundane things, even the things that a farmer learns, even the things that a farmer practices or a gardener of any type, or the cultivator of vines, or any other form of agriculture, that when that person or those people are using the, the, uh, the, the earthly ingredients that God gave them, the breaking up of the fallow ground, the preparing of the soil, the, the sowing of the seed, the knowledge of the farmer of, of what's the best time to plant seed in this particular, uh, in, this, in this environment or in this climate, and how to cultivate, all of those All of the things that are so fascinating about agriculture, Isaiah 28 ends by saying, this also comes from the Lord. Would you say the word also with me? Also. This also comes from the Lord. You could say that about things in your life. This also comes from the Lord. I can trust him in the small, mundane things of life. Why? Because Isaiah 28, 29 says he's wonderful in counsel. An excellent in wisdom. Oh, that Old Testament factor uh, parallels beautifully with a great New Testament promise that I think is part of the adventure of this unwrapping of God's God's gift wrap, the, the, the peeling away of God's gift wrap. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 2 speaks of a, of a kind of glory. The use of the word glory in 1 Corinthians 2.6 is intriguing. He says that there are things God had intended in the plan of sending Jesus to be our Savior that would be for our glory. Now, we know that only God has true glory, right? We know in Isaiah 42, 8 that God says, 
My glory will I not share with another. I am the Lord. So what kind of glory is this? Well, it's not, it's a glory that's not intrinsic to us. It's the glory we might think of as a radiant privilege, a spectacular privilege of being given God's gift wrap. We are the recipients of something far greater even than our best Christmas song could ever describe. That is his infinitely wise love, his total conquest over evil, his absolute sovereign power to bring good out of those things that are evil in our world, and a thousand and one other attributes of how God deals with us. And he summarizes it there in 1 Corinthians 2 by saying it again. I'll have you read this with me. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. This passage goes on to say that the Holy Spirit makes these things known to us. So we might say, in a sense, that even in, um, even in mundane things, even in things that seem like just daily experiences of life, things that maybe we're not always fully cognizant of, there are things that God does not want us to miss. There's a wonderful story about uh, John Bowes, who was the chairman of the parent company called Whammo. Whammo was the designer and distributor of that uh, child's toy, a Frisbee. He was the Frisbee manufacturer. And he once sent, John Bowes once sent a gift of several thousand Frisbees to an orphanage in Angola. He hoped that the children there would enjoy one of his company's most famous toys. Well, a few months later, one of the representatives of Whammo traveled to Angola and was going to make a visit to the orphanage. And when he got there, he was told that the children really loved their gifts. What wonderful plates these were off of which to eat. How nice it was to carry water from the well in the Frisbee. And even to catch fish. And the representative thought, all right, nobody explained to them what the Frisbee is for. So he got out in the field with them and started playing, and they started throwing the Frisbee and showing all the kids in the orphanage that what they thought was a nice little plate from America was actually intended for sheer joy. It was a toy for joy. And the children could scarcely contain themselves with even greater excitement over this new possibility that they had missed. And just like those kids in the orphanage in Angola, I wonder as we leave Christmas this year, if we might also say, how could we have missed this? How could I have missed something so much greater and, in many ways, something God's intended just to bring more joy to the earth? It's why you could hear the melody of the song that Justin sang this morning in a hundred different countries in the world 
and it would be recognized joy to the world. The Lord is come. People know that melody. They don't have to be told what the words are. It signals, it sends, it, it brings that sense. And what was good for these kids in the orphanage is, is a, a, a kind of a small example, I think, of what is good in that text that we talked about in Psalm 8, that God was sending a wrapper. God was sending a gift wrap of his son to show a magnitude of care that we often miss. Jesus zeroed in on that with the disciples at times when they would get all tangled up in speculations about what he was trying to explain to them and and they would be they would be fretting over whether they would have enough money for this or that other necessity in their journey and Jesus would talk to them about simple things like the birds of the air and like the like the like the flowers in the field that were there are their raiment is more magnificent than the finest clothes of King Solomon. And yet he said, you are of more value than they. Even the hairs of your head, Jesus said in Luke 12, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. This wondrous insight about the wonderful counselor, I think is, is kind of a, an ongoing theme that we might see in scripture if we're if our eyes are open to realize it William Shakespeare the great playwright put put it like this in thinking of of humanity itself what a piece of work is a human just a a a simple observation somehow the human experience far greater of value than we could even explain a great physicist in the mid 20th century by the name of Sir Arthur Eddington, had a way with aphorisms and words explaining complex scientific concepts to people. And um, he left us with a great insight when he said, a human being is almost precisely halfway in size between an atom and a star. In other words, when Salt Mate says, God has made him a little lower than the angels, The psalmist was echoing a profound fact that Jesus in his birth in Bethlehem elevates the very value of being human. The human experience has been elevated and accented by this unwrapping of God's name. Well, we saw the present tenseness of wonderful counselor. That second word in that Isaiah 9, 6, if you look at that again in your Bible, is the mighty God. The Hebrew word El Gibor means, refers directly to the deity and saying this coming promised one will be so mighty. He will be the mighty God in person. Because we've already read a child will be born. Uh, a son will be given. And, and, and the mightiness of this is on many different planes, of course. But uh, one of the greatest of all is, again, something we miss, the mightiness of his power to save us. Jeremiah put it like this in looking forward to what God would do in the good news. Oh, Lord God, behold, you've made the heaven and the earth by your great power and stretched out your arm. There's nothing too hard for you. Yes, this mighty God, 
this promised son, the one to be born, the son to be given, is mighty to save. The disciples encountered that when they were in a storm-tossed vessel going across the Sea of Galilee, and the storm had stirred up rapidly as it often can do in that because of the landscape of that Sea of Galilee where, where a gale force winds can come in in a very, very short period of time, a boat that's been sailing along can be caught up in a squall. And there they were just fearful and terrified and began to cry out, Lord, don't you care? We're about to drown. Jesus, roused from sleep, gets up and speaks to the sea and speaks to the winds and says, peace, be still. And in a time that must have seemed like time stood still, these are watching the very calming of the winds and the waves and the sea. And their question after they watch that awesome miracle is, who is this? Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So we might say that the wonderful counselor accents this present tenseness. The mighty God accents his omnipotence, the total deity of the incarnate son. And then there's that phrase, everlasting father, a, 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 a rendering of the Hebrew that uh, brings it a little more sharply and clearly, I think, is the father of eternity. The, the Hebrew word uh, abiod has this sense of one writer even called it the father of the future, the, the governor of eternity, the one from whom eternity was spawned. That is, eternity has its very essence and its essential meaning in the eternal deity of the Son. And I see a key distinction for that in, in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, when the Bible gives us in that fifth chapter of Hebrews both the human and deity side of Jesus. When it says that in the Garden of Gethsemane that he was, he was deeply anguished of soul as he cried out in tears to the Father, acknowledging, taking upon himself the entire sin of the world, was ominous not because of the suffering he would endure, but because of the separation between him and the Father. And in that agonizing cry, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, that the Son, S-O-N, was heard because he feared and responded to the Father. Here you have the humanity of Jesus, the utter and most extreme pressure of human experience in the body of the God-man. And yet, in the same context, the scripture says, through this, he became the source of salvation. The source of salvation for all who obey him, all who put their trust in him. That response that God is inviting us to give him so that we can say in our own life that loving the Lord Jesus means I can receive from him the wonder of his counsel on a daily basis. That I can know in my soul that almighty God through him saves me, delivers me from deadly peril. That I can be sure that not only is he the father of eternity, but that he has my time in his hands. And that he is, would you say it with me, the prince of peace. A peace a wholeness, a wellness in soul and body that comes from knowing 
yes, this eternal gift from God, the God-man, Jesus, the Word made flesh. He is my wonderful counselor, my mighty God, the Father of my future, as well as of all eternity. Amen? And the Prince of Peace. Now, that wholeness of peace, that shalom, carries out the full meaning of the prevailing, the nature of God in his rule. And that's why verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Now, in our prayer today, we can personalize that increasing government, we might say, that increasing rule. And one way we do so is by thanking God for the rule he's already exercised in our lives. You know, we come to an interesting juncture here at the conclusion of a year. We thank God for awesome deliverances. And how could we ever do justice to what God has done for us? We could say that today personally, our families, and oh my, this church, in so many ways. I could verbalize just the incredible ways the wonderful counselor has taken us by the hand and has taken us to new places. And so, just a simple part of our takeaway today would be, I want to pray for you that the increase of his government, the increase of his rule, will be a source of great, passionate, joyous excitement to you. That you'll be like those kids with those Frisbees in Angola. <laughs> you'll be chasing those, that Frisbee around, saying, God, thank you for the indescribable and exuberant joy you bring in my life, because you see my need even before I ask. Lord, lift up the hearts of your people today. Lord, for those who are on the precipice of maybe a big decision, those who are struggling with an, an inner, in unresolved issue, a question, a decision. Lord, for all of our loved ones here in this church body facing health issues that are ongoing and, and need the grace and the healing virtue of, of, of your presence, we pray for great peace, for joy, for clear guidance, and Lord, that our hearts and our expectancy would be enlarged to thank you that, yes, in our lives, as we unwrap the gift package that you've given us, that you're increasing our awareness of your wise rule in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the hills and everywhere, go tell it.